America. This is Gun Owners News Hour. And, uh, well, you should uh, be taking heart right about now because the answer to the question that none of you have asked <laughs> has been answered. You can now reserve a $1,499 BioFire 9mm smart gun for a refundable deposit of $149. You get to pick the color of the frame, the trigger, and the magazine release. You can choose right or left-handed and add a custom serial number at no extra charge. Additional magazines are $49 each, and for $99, you can purchase a year of concierge white glove service known as BioFire Care. And you get this from the website. Your smart gun will ship in the order. It was a reserved order now to secure your spot in line. But what you can't do is shoot it. You can't shoot it before you plunk down your money. And nor can nearly anybody else. But Because BioFire is not allowing independent reviews of its new smart gun, at least not anytime soon. Amy Jasper, BioFire's communications director, said Tuesday, in the short term, we're not doing this kind of thing yet. We're trying to phase in our engagement with the public on this stuff. <laughs> you can always tell when the official types, when they're using the word stuff, they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, she said, we're hosting product demos on Zoom Interviews with the CEO, and then the next thing we'll host are some on-site range days for the folks in the firearm media, allowing folks to put a few rounds through it. And after that, we'll be able to send firearms out to do whatever you want with it. It's a phased approach. Now, Jasper said the company lacks the capacity to allow traditional firearm reviews. Even though they've already accepted down payments for the pistol, which she said should start shipping during quarter one or quarter two of 2024. So, <laughs> um, right now you just have to take them at their word. And their word is that their integrated fingerprint and 3D facial recognition system will work as advertised and unlock the pistol when it's needed, especially in what Masayub called the gravest extreme. Now, whenever they come out with a smart gun that they always purport to be viable, which so far to this moment they have not been viable, there's a lot more at stake than if the next generation of Glock or SIG comes out. And even though New Jersey lawmakers toned down their infamous smart gun mandate, which would have required the Garden State gun dealers to sell only firearms with user recognition technology, the minute a viable smart gun hit the market, 
You can expect the gun ban industry to demand still all new firearms contain fingerprint scanners or facial recognition software. So in other words, anti-gunners will use the release of the new smart gun as a cudgel to leverage more infringements of our Second Amendment right if it works, which is always a major if to add to it. Therefore, when a new smart gun is unveiled, it's vital to see if it actually works. And that's where the independent testing comes in. Not on a Zoom call, not on a demo, or a dog and pony show at the company's range. Uh, and right away, I'm suspicious of this. Right away, I'm suspicious of this. And, it, you know, we saw this before with the, with the Hudson. Remember the Hudson? Remember the Remington R51? Remember the first version of the Glock 42? I mean, all of those turned out to be junk. Non-sustainable. Guns that could not scale up. Guns that could not be made. Now, Lee Williams <laughs> uh, interviewed the uh, CEO, Kai Klopfer, if the gun is reliable, and uh, Kai said, I would say the short answer is yes. The long answer, as a gun owner, the fundamental thing that no one has ever done is build a smart gun that delivers on its key promise of only working for you. Most importantly to your question, it needs to be a good gun. What I would say is the pre-production unit we have now, by the point where we're asking customers to put full payments down, the expectation is, yes, it will be similar to a Glock 19 in reliability. If we if we had final production units, we would be shipping to customers. He also said that some pre-production models can fire hundreds of rounds without a malfunction, while others experience one malfunction per magazine. He said, we've run a pretty rigorous test parameter for over two years now. Our intent here is we are first and foremost building a home defense handgun, not a battle rifle. So we're focusing on it being very reliable in that environment. So I would say it's not the ideal firearm to take to the desert in Afghanistan. Now, um, the current model, as it is configured, comes with iron sights and an integral red laser. And it's sort of futuristic looking, as you might expect, but he said future models will include a red dot, which will be fully integrated into the power source of the gun. No extra batteries and no need to turn it off and on. The power source of the gun is not explained. They have raised $30 million to develop this in an effort led by the Founders Fund. And while the majority of the investors are anonymous, Cloffer said he's not taking money from Bloomberg, Giffords, Brady, or other anti-gun groups. He said, we're backed by a very broad range of people. Our goal here is to build firearms. We've never supported any mandates or restrictions on firearms. Now, BioFire posted a well-produced video on its website of retired Navy SEALs shooting and reloading the chunky-looking gun. And uh, it, it, the statement is, the BioFire smart gun was designed specifically for real gun owners who want a quality home defense firearm. They cannot be used by children or criminals. Mike Corbett, BioFire advisor and former member of T SEAL Team 6, 
is quoted as saying in the press release. In a few years, I believe that the head of every household in America who wants a home defense firearm is going to choose this smart gun. Now, Mr. Corbett was not made available for an interview to discuss his comments. Ian McCollum, host of Forgotten Weapons on the YouTube channel, was allowed to examine a weapon at length and shoot two 10-round magazines at their indoor range for an episode of his program. During the episode, he said, this is the challenge of developing your whole new firearms platform and biotech sensor platform at the same time. So that's why this is still pre-production. They're going to get these bugs worked out in the next couple of months. In their press release, though, his comments are much more sparkly. The BioFire smart gun shoots like a gun. There's no delay. If it weren't for the futuristic look, you wouldn't know that this isn't just a regular mechanical pistol. That's very appealing to people interested in a home defense firearm, which is a significant market segment. I've come away from the opportunity to fire the gun myself, pretty excited and impressed by the system. So far, BioFire has done it right. Klopfer would not say whether he is paying McCollum. He said, I can't talk exact details. You're welcome to ask him. But I'm not allowed to disclose that under an NDA. Neither would he say if he's compensating the SEALs. I still can't disclose that, he said. I think that probably gives you all you need to know. Stand back and watch and let's see what happens with this. It's a very interesting time, I guess, to exist in the gun world. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. News Hour. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee, he's decided to try to step halfway out of the airplane while it's in the air. By the way, that's not actually something you can do. <laughs> he has a sweeping new gun grab proposal. Anybody who has a psychological disorder is eligible to lose their Second Amendment rights for 180 days or more. But, and here's the major rub. He has decided not to step into the arena about whether transgenderism is classified as a psychological disorder. Now, mind you, the, the, whenever you look at these things, these springboards that they try to put in front of you um, to catapult you into the next round of gun control, they're always going to use an incident as that springboard, which ostensibly you would think he's using the provenant, uh, excuse me, the covenant uh, school shooting. And you would, uh, you know, and that would be a, a good one to look at. But um, if you're not going to get out there and, and call the duck a duck, but you're going to throw this out there and you're not even going to do it in a legislative way. Um, well, you're going down a primrose path, pal. 
His proposed legislation endows a third party to accuse someone else of being a threat to themselves or others and prompt a state-led search, seizure, and evaluation. They will only The accused would only have one hearing every 180 days to make the case for why they have a right to exercise their constitutionally guaranteed right. So this, once again, is pre-crime. This is minority report. <clears throat> you have to... In this scheme, you would have to sit down with a state-appointed psychiatrist and lawyer and prove their innocence before the government decides if you can keep your gun. Federal law already prohibits people who have been adjudicated as a mental defective or committed to a mental institution from buying guns. But Lee wants his state to broaden its gun laws to create a temporary order of protection against anyone the state determines has a psychological disorder, alcohol dependence, or drug dependence. Although I'm almost certain, without looking, I'm almost certain they already have a law that if somebody is proving to be a a hazard to themselves or others, that they can involuntarily commit them for 72 hours and, uh, you know, take a look at them, make a, make a, make a call on what's going on with them. Now, prior to it being a trendy thing to do, uh, global and U.S. Med- uh, medical institutions have classified body dysphoria as a mental disorder. And it's only in recent years that these institutions partnered with big tech and other forces to push anyone or to punish anyone who questions whether a serious discomfort with biological sex is a form of mental illness. So... The Federalists stepped in and uh, they, uh, they asked Lee's office to clarify what, according to his proposal, constitutes a psychological disorder and specify whether transgenderism would qualify for the gun and ammo grab, but they got no response on that. Ever since the must Shooter shot and killed three nine-year-olds and three adults at a private school. Tennessee Republicans have worked hard to protect students and their constituents' constitutional rights. On the federal level, Senators Blackburn and Haggerty of Tennessee introduced a new bill that would funnel $900 million in taxpayer money to both public and private schools to hire armed security and harden classrooms with enhanced physical defenses. And there's quite a few ingenious ones out there today. Even if you don't want to arm teachers... They have like the room in a room that you can pull out of the corner, and then it's a bulletproof enclosure. You get all the kids in there and lock it down, and uh, that, that, that affords you some degree of protection. On the state level, Tennessee Republicans uh, workshop bills to fund school security teams and punish their Democrat colleagues for their roles in a gun control and transgender-themed insurrection. Just a few weeks ago, Lee was leading and aiding these efforts, and now he's attempting to fend off praise from Democrats like Biden, who commended the GOP governor for signing an executive order to expand background checks and calling on the Tennessee State House to pass a red flag law. And Biden said, I hope more Republican officials will follow suit and take action. Now, while pushing for red flag laws, he refuses to prioritize fixing Tennessee law that would have prevented this, which is allowing Christian schools or preschools to arm their their teachers. Under current state law, uh, 
private kindergarten through 12th grade can set their own handgun carrying policy, but the laws bar schools with pre-kindergarten or preschool programs from protecting themselves. Why? 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 <laughs> You you can't you, you, this is half a loaf. This is half a loaf. So uh, we'll see what comes of this. This is uh, one of these things where you're looking at it and you just uh, this is do somethingism, and I fully understand that. I understand. I understand that when the emotions are running high, that you're sitting there and you, you feel like you got to do something. Uh, taking away due process is not the something to do. I mean, you could do that if you want to, but then what happens is later on, when that doesn't prove to work, then what's next? Are you going to rescind the taking away due process before you move on to the next thing? No, that never happens. We just begin. It becomes like the Windows operating system. It's it's a bad system stacked on itself, on itself, on itself, on itself. So one day you have this gigantic pile of just stuff. That none of it works. Here's here's the latest update. So what this would do is it, it doesn't even mention if the third party has to have any sort of qualification. And it would bring the power of the state down on you. And if you were to actually go, what they're saying is that uh, once every 180 days you would have a chance to sit down with their state-appointed psychiatrist and their state-appointed lawyer, and you'd be a fool not to go with without a lawyer of your own, so now you're incurring that cost as well. And you now have to prove innocence. When you've committed no crime, there's not even a presumption of innocence based on a crime being leveled. It's just a thought process. It's, 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 it's your attitude that's doing it. This is a very dangerous path to go down. It is unconstitutional. It always has been unconstitutional. I know it's trendy right now where they're out there saying we need to take preventative measures. You cannot take preventative measures by denying people their, their freedoms. We see, we see it time and time again. States that have these, uh, these pre-crime laws in place, they miss, they miss people. And a lot of times it's because of political correctness, like the the shooter at Highland Park. They missed him because of political correctness. And especially this whole transgender nonsense. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. This is Gun Owners News Hour. A federal judge in Washington, D.C. has decided that he knows what is and is not a good fit for self-defense. And he's doing it based upon the old days of the, uh, hey there, pal, uh, I'm going to rob you now. And uh, I expect you, you know, your money or your life, pal. Uh, that is uh, not the world in which we exist. But he's living in it now. 
And what he's done is he's decided to take and uh, so once again, they've used language. Language is always one of those things. With language, you get out there and um, you take the standard capacity magazine that a gun is designed to run with, right? The feature, one of the features of the gun. And then you turn it into a large capacity magazine. And then you can take that large capacity magazine, and in the case of this judge, you can say that they fall outside the scope of the Second Amendment because they're a poor fit for self-defense purposes. While, of course, not ever pointing out what is actually a good fit, right? Uh, the challenge to the district's magazine ban, known as Hanson v. D.C., involves four legal gun owners from D.C. who all say they would possess and carry, they say, at large capacity magazines in their firearms if they weren't banned by law. And their prohibition comes complete with a potential three-year prison sentence, though it's unclear how often that sentence is handed down in practice especially with D.C. prosecutors routinely deciding to decline any sort of charge in many illegal gun possession cases. But that probably is only with criminals. Now, even though the D.C. Attorney General's office is taking a mostly hands-off approach to illegal gun and magazine possession, it remains on the books and was defended in court by D.C. officials who maintain that magazines aren't arms at all, but accessories that aren't protected by the Second Amendment. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, U.S. District Judge Rudolph Contreras, who was an Obama appointee, he rejected that argument as, in his opinion, but agreed with the district on its fallback argument that LCMs are mostly suitable for military purposes and not used in self-defense because incidents where a civilian actually expends more than 10 bullets in self-defense are vanishingly rare. Now, mind you, and, and this is where the hypocrisy pops in, there's no limit on how many 10-round magazines you can own. In California, Elliot Rogers, the Isla Vista guy, the Isla Vista rampage killer who, who used a, a variety of ways to kill his, his, his victims. Um, he went out and he, he played by all the rules put in place by the California first in the nation gun control regime. He'd buy a handgun and wait for 10 days to pick it up and then wait for 30 days to buy another and then buy another, then wait for 10 days to pick it up. Then he did that three times. And then because the magazine restrictions were 10 per magazine, he just bought 41 of them. And the the feature of a semi-automatic weapon is that it is rapidly reloaded. So that means you shoot it empty faster, but you can reload it just as fast. So the whole part of the argument where they're out there and they're saying, well, these are not, these are not uh, suitable for self-defense. Capacity means nothing. The mechanics are what make that attractive. So... At the very, I'm going to be kind here. This argument is specious. Now, Heller specifically contemplated the weapons that are mostly useful in military service fall outside of Second Amendment protection, which was one of those big, big doors that were left open. Now, plaintiffs counter that the Supreme Court's precedents do not withhold protection from arms merely because they are useful in malicious service. 
And uh, that may be true, but it is beside the point. Heller established that weapons that are mostly useful in the military service are excluded from Second Amendment protection. That was a problem. Most is a superlative. A weapon. All handguns that have military service, right? The only difference in them and the gun that you might want to buy, and you can still buy the military service gun as far as the handgun is concerned, like the SIG P320, which is now dubbed the M18, the M17, those come with frame-mounted safeties, whereas the traditional SIG P320 does not. Otherwise, you can buy it, and it's legal. So the weapon itself, where it is actually fielded and used in duty, as far as handguns are concerned, handguns have uh, the the analog to the military handgun is, in fact, the civilian handgun. This is why whenever there's somebody getting out there and they're, you know, they're, there's going to be a new a new gun competition for the next gun the military service is going to go, everybody gets involved in it because whatever they come up with, whatever they develop, can be sold in the civilian market. Now, a weapon may have some useful purposes in both civilian and military contexts, but if it is mostly in military service, it is not protected by the Second Amendment. But that's giving a lot of weight to Scalia's phrase about weapons that are most useful in military service, especially since Contreras contradicted himself by pointing to the benefits of a standard capacity magazines for civilian law enforcement. And once again, we're in this thing where they're saying, well, the cops need more than you do. He said simultaneously that the magazines over 10 rounds are most useful in military service and also the ban keeps the advantage police have over armed civilians who may be suspects or engaged in criminal activity. Now, once again, that is a specious statement at best. I know plenty of guys that could go into combat with plenty of 10-round magazines, and it doesn't matter what everybody else is carrying. They're going to win. They're going to win. There's no way I face them. I wouldn't face them if they had a two-round magazine. Some of these guys, and I mean they're older guys too. He also quoted the uh, Ninth Circuit's claims that because studies have shown that the average defensive gun use involves far fewer than 10 rounds being fired, the added benefit of large-capacity magazines being able to fire more than 10 bullets in rapid succession has never been realized in self-defense, except it actually has. Because magazine capacity does not take into account certain things like disparity of force that you might find encountering multiple opponents. Because here's the thing about handguns. Handguns are weak. They are weak in comparison to a rifle. Handguns are a half measure. They're something you can carry easily and you can conceal easily. And at the same time, um, you know, you're gonna, it's going to take two or three rounds to put somebody down at a minimum in most cases. Because if you look at the law of averages from what we know about gunfighting, you have the rule of threes, three feet, three rounds, three seconds. So by that criteria, then just about any single-stack magazine works. However, that works on one opponent. What if you're facing a home invasion with multiple players? What if you're facing somebody on drugs? What about that cop in uh, Pennsylvania that had to shoot a guy 19 times with a 45 ACP? 
And the only reason the guy went down after the 19th shot was the 19th shot hit him in the top of the head. The guy remained combative, and uh, he was actually quite, he was being quite effective because the cop was running out of ammo. Now that cop carries 147 rounds with him daily. And this also, there's no such ban that exists anywhere in the country, and the court doubts the district will see this as an invitation to go down the plaintiff's slippery slope. But recall that the studies show that two bullets is merely the average amount. So anything that hinders magazine capacity is going to be a problem for me. And we see these in various states and uh, other places as well, and none of these pass muster, not Bruin, not Bruin. Heller, uh, at its time, was, uh, Heller left so many doors open. So many doors. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. time this is gun owners news hour uh, unless something legislatively remarkable happens the 27th constitutional permitless carry state has been coronated this will be nebraska at 11:25 a.m. on april the 19th they passed lb 77 the constitutional carry bill which senator tim brewer has been working to pass for years and it has to be signed by Nebraska Governor Jim Pillen to become law. And Governor Pillen has promised he will sign the bill. So congratulations to Nebraska. The majority of American states are now permitless carry, which is a it's a it's a big issue. That's a big issue. So this incorporates a number of features to make it a reality, and one provision has been a sticking point to getting the bill passed. And this strengthens the Nebraska preemption statute and eliminates the Omaha and Lincoln requirements to register handguns in those cities. So what we have is notwithstanding the provisions of any home rule charter, counties, cities, and villages shall not have the power to regulate the ownership, possession, storage, transportation, sale, or transfer, require registration of firearms or other weapons, any county, city, or village ordinance permit or regulation in violation of subsection 2 of this section is declared to be null and void. It changes the definition of what is a concealed handgun so that if any part of the handgun is capable of being seen or observed by another person, it is not a concealed handgun. So this will primarily be about concealed. Um, and they have concealed handgun means a handgun that is entirely obscured from view. If any part of the handgun is capable of being seen or observed by another person, it is not a concealed handgun. It is referred to in Nebraska that their legislatures are nonpartisan. But uh, in the lineup, there's 32 Republicans and 17 Democrats. As 33 votes are necessary to overcome the three closure votes, Republicans had to recruit one nonpartisan Democrat to obtain the necessary 33 votes. And, uh, well, they got it. They got it. 
It's scheduled to go into effect three months after the current legislation, uh, legislative session ex- ends, and that will end on June the 9th, 2023. So this then becomes effective three months later on September 9th, 2023. Nebraska becomes the 25th state to restore constitutional carry, the 26th of the Constitutional Carry Club, and the 27th state to have permitless carry enshrined in state law. Vermont has always had it. They have never had a law about it. Alaska restored constitutional carry in, uh, constitutional carry in 2003. Arizona in 2010. And it's just been, it's, it's become a, uh, just a cascade of states following along. So, segueing, if we may, let's talk about language in gun control right now. We're going to follow the yellow brick road on this one. And if I say something that you already know, I'm not trying to insult you, okay? (laughs) Definition of the word assault, assault, verb, a violent physical or verbal attack. Definition of the word weapon, noun, something such as a knife, club, gun, etc. used to injure, defeat, or destroy someone or something. Definition of a rifle. Noun, a shoulder-fired firearm with a rifled bore. Definition of a pistol. Noun, a specifically handheld firearm whose chamber is integral with the barrel. Definition of a semi-automatic firearm. Noun, a firearm able to fire repeatedly through an automatic reloading process, but requiring the trigger to be pulled for each successive shot. Definition of a machine gun. Noun, a firearm for sustained rapid fire or burst on a single pull of the trigger, a.k.a. an automatic weapon. Definition of the phrase assault rifle. Noun, any of various intermediate range magazine fed military rifles that can be set for automatic or semi-automatic fire. So, what they're describing is the military-issued weapon here in the United States and in various uh, countries around the world where they have the select fire switch, which you can't buy at this moment. So where does the infamous assault weapon fit into the linguistic picture here? Well, it doesn't. During World War II, Hugo Schmeiser designed a light rifle to fight and fire, right? It was based on the 7.92 millimeter Kurtz, or short cartridge, which was of the same caliber caliber as the Mauser, but was lighter and shorter and therefore of less potent intermediate power. It was known as the Sturmgewehr, assault rifle. The assault rifle 44, to be precise, had a curved 30, ba- uh, 30 round magazine and was designed to, for approximately 300 yards. It was lightweight. Now, they didn't call it an assault weapon, as it was specifically a lightweight fire capable of automatic fire. Years later, when they were investigating history, it was discovered that in the late 1980s, Josh Sugarman, a gun control activist and founder of the Violence Policy Center, coined the term assault weapon in a paper he authored. (laughs) And he said, and he writes, a 
Assault weapons, just like armor-piercing bullets, machine guns, and plastic firearms, are a new topic. The weapons' menacing looks, coupled with the public's confusion over fully automatic machine guns versus semi-automatic assault weapons, anything that looks like a machine gun is assumed to be a machine gun, can only increase the chance of public support for restrictions on these weapons. In addition, few people can envision a practical use for these weapons. So this is where the tactic of ginning up popular support by blending the term assault rifle and assault weapon comes into play. And while the true origin of the term assault weapon is uncertain or remains a topic of debate, the ultimate objective of gun control is not to merely disarm individuals, but to eradicate the capacity for self-defense. So by merging the terms rifle and weapon, the connotation of the latter encompasses a wider range of items, including anything that can be wielded as a weapon. So, in their vernacular, the Glock 17 becomes an assault weapon. And a weapon can be anything, for that matter, from a firearm to a blade to a rock or even the chair that you're sitting on right now. So the confusing conflation of assault rifles and assault weapons completes the attack on self-defense. An attack on anything that can be used as a weapon for defense, which takes you know, thrust the self-defense attack quietly into the mainstream. And this explains to you why they want to disarm you of anything that can be used any way that you can consider to use it. They scream assault weapon, implying the black, ugly, military-style rifle. But they're really after anything and all things. And this is how they're trying to force our cooperation and approval of complete disarmament. So they lie. And that's the big lie. The attempted destruction of personal self-defense. And look at around these various cities and states where they attack the victims instead of the perpetrators with legal actions. Look at countries like England and Australia who punish those who try and protect themselves. The conflation of these terms is also known as norming, the act of normalizing any idea or behavior. And norming is also a trick that the United Nations does in their arms trade treaty. Well, that's a story for another day. During these times of the incredible governmental lies that are circulating all through the culture, we're being cleaved into separate angry groups of confused, frightened people. And police forces are finding their own safety an issue through defunding. And we're struggling to, with the need to defend our families and ourselves. And these attacks and lies are a constant physical grind upon us, and that grind creates federal overreach. And I find this new normal, the, the next step in the continuous effort of the homegrown leftists, where the attempted disarmament by the left is trying to overwhelm our value of freedom and liberty. Without self-defense, there is no self-reliance. And without self-reliance, there is bigger government. And with bigger government, there is only tyranny. I will be back next weekend. Between now and then, please do the following things. Stay awake. Stay aware. Carry your personal defense weapon everywhere you go. Never give up the fight. This has been Gun Owners News Hour.